Business Women Rock, Episode 1. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the very first episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. On today's episode, we'll be featuring Joy Jandusa, who is the founder and CEO of Postcard Mania. Before we get into the interview, I want to share with you why I started this podcast. During my own journey as an entrepreneur, I realized that I always connected with other people's stories. Somebody else who had been there and done that before. Somebody else who had managed employees. Somebody else who had grown their company. And every story that I heard was really powerful and ended up teaching me something. And it's that something that I would always take from it that ended up impacting how I showed up to my company every day and continually helped me to grow as an entrepreneur. And that's why I created the Business Women Rock community because I really wanted a place where we could help each other and we could hear each other's stories and we could have a home where all of these business women are telling their stories and we are able to hear and experience that moment of, aha, I'm not the only one. She experienced that too. And be able to take that and use it in our own businesses. And on top of that, the real life strategies that these women have used, the A, B, and C of how they executed and how they did something, those tools and those strategies are what are housed here. I'll give you a personal example. I was ending an interview with one of our future guests, Jessica Singer, and it had been a really rough day for me. It was just one of those days where I, I really was done. I was fried and I still had so much to do. And I asked her, I said, Jessica, what do you do when you feel like you just can't do one more thing? And she said, I do 12 more things. And it was so inspiring and so practical that I was able to take that attitude and just finish exactly what needed to get done that day. So that's what Business Women Rock is all about. I had the pleasure of meeting Joy a few years ago when she invited our business owners into her organization to see the behind the scenes of how her company actually worked. And it was incredibly fascinating and it was very easy to fall in love with Joy. She was wonderful. She was amazing and very open about how her business runs. So the interview you're about to hear is Joy's story about how she grew from a computer and a phone out of her home to a company with over 190 employees and $22 million in revenue. Turn up the volume. You're going to love it. Joey, thank you so much for being here with us today. My absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to see you. <laughs> <laughs> Joey and I got to meet a couple of years ago, and it was wonderful. And um, just, I was absolutely just overjoyed when I met you and, and got to just kind of see the light for all of you who uh, who are listening right now. She's just this kind of bundle of light. And um, she's just somebody who makes who makes entrepreneurialism look and feel really fun and really good and really smart. So oh, thanks. you're welcome. It and, is actually really fun though. So there you go. Well, and today, <laughs> and this is really what the point of this is, is we're really going to get down and dirty and hear the story as to um, ha- how all of that stuff has happened and how you do that. So, um, so anyway, so I really want to start kind of from the beginning. So if you can kind of just give us a snapshot of what life looked like for you before you started your company. Oh, two little boys. Um, I was kind of roaming from job to job, sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. 
Um, I was married to a guitar player back then. Uh, really nice guy, but not super motivated to make a good living. <laughs> he really just wanted to play his guitar, and he still really just wants to play his guitar. But anyway, <laughs> I have a new husband, a businessman. <laughs> um, anyway, I, um, yeah, I really know what it feels like to be broke. I, uh, I, it's funny, one of my children, um, my husband and I, back my, my last husband and I, we really never fought. I'm not a fighter. So I was talking to one of my sons, and I said something about, like, well, yeah, me and Daddy never, you know, fought. He goes, oh, you had a fight. I remember you had a fight. I'm thinking, when? And it was when he was, like, five years old. Um, I spent, like, $5 on this gift for him to bring to a birthday party. And we were broke enough that my husband argued with me about it. Really? So I definitely know what it feels like to be broke. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I was driving um, uh, a Chevy Beretta. I can't remember the year. But it had a recalled paint job, and it should have had a recall. It should have had a recalled interior because the, the fabric was like hanging down. It was like the most ghetto <laughs> car, and so yeah. I mean, snapshot. It was not always like this. I mean, you know, people are listening and they can't really see, but I, I pretty much. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a materialistic person anyway. But I pretty much, if I can go to Nordstrom's whenever I want, then I've made it, and I'm there. So, <laughs> good the, the mark of success, right? <laughs> so it definitely did look that way, you know, 15 plus years ago. So yeah. tell me how you went from that and sort of wandering to actually starting your company. Okay, so I worked for various people, and the thing that I didn't like about working for people was the office politics or just the weird stuff that went on you know you're spending eight ten hours a day at a job and you know it's like I wanted to be I want to have a good time at it I really enjoy working like I'm one of those people who like I get pleasure out of getting a good product and working and and achieving something and I'm not just there to punch a clock I've never been that kind of a person but I didn't enjoy the BS you know the backbiting and that sort of a thing and um, so when I created my own business I just kind of I mean, it sort of happened organically. I had um, two babies, and my dad wanted to help me. And he said, if you want to do graphic design, which I already knew how to do, but you have to think back 15 years ago. Uh, Postcard mainly started 15 years ago, but I started my own business 19 years ago. Gosh. Gotcha. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Now you're bringing me back. (laughs) And I started in my house just doing freelance typesetting and graphic design on on a... desktop computer that my dad bought me that had a 400 megabyte hard drive. I mean, now we're like gigabiting all over the place and like, you know, 32 is not enough. And this was a 400 megabyte hard drive. It was the most expensive computer on the market. Wow. I know. It was kind of crazy. And he bought it for me as a gift. And, um, and I had been working for a printer prior to that. And I was doing like light typesetting for them in-house on a computer, like on Microsoft Publisher when it was first released. And so I was kind of self-taught in that area. But I went to the High School of Art and Design, so I always thought to myself, I want to do something artistic. And as I was learning desktop publishing, I thought, oh, well, this is, like, pretty cool. I can do this. So that's the very beginning. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to be too long-winded here, but um, I was very tired of being broke all the time, and I was tired of those kinds of work environments. And then my dad bought me this this computer and I started doing freelance work and that's sort of how I wound up starting my own company and that company I was named Joy Rockwell back then Mm -hmm. so it was Joy Rockwell Design was my company and then I started brokering printing for clients because it's just complicated and 
they would get their graphic design and then they would go to the printer and then they would get very confused. So um, I started helping them with that and I was very, very, very transparent about it and nobody else was. I would just say, listen, if I go get the printing for you, if I, I'm going to mark it up 20%. However, I am going to shop it. I'm only going to shop it at the right shops, the right facilities to make sure it's the right kind of job because different print facilities do different types of printing and they're not all right for what you're doing. So I was very transparent about it and, and they appreciated the help, you know. So that's how I got into the print brokering business. Fast forward a little bit, in my little company, I had my few staff and I had this gigantic customer who was like 90% of our business. Wow. And I could see that bad things were going down <laughs> at that place. Um, they were starting to get attacked. They had this this weird product that was like a laundry ball that you didn't need any detergent and it lasted forever and they were it was like a multi-level thing and I was doing massive amounts of design and printing and uh, mailing for them and they were and then I would have these other little clients here and there but they were getting attacked by like Procter and Gamble and they just it was going down so I thought I better promote my own little business or I'm not gonna have any clients soon and I had never really promoted myself so I used to get this promotion from a company out of New York would come to me in the mail and they were promoting postcards for $425 for 5000 now, back then, I couldn't even conceive of how a printer could actually produce it for that little. So I, um, I thought, oh, let me design a postcard for my own Joy Rockwell, now Enterprises, because I was design, printing, <laughs> mailing, yeah. And, um, and you know, I had a few staff now, so let me design a postcard. So I designed a postcard, and now I'm a pretty proficient graphic designer at this point, few, you know, jumping forward a few years. And I designed this postcard, and I... Federal Express it on a CD to this company in New York. I was very excited about it. They Federal Express me back my proof, my hard copy proof. Ah, uh, the <laughs> days before email. <laughs> I know. I was like, really? I think we had email. You just couldn't email something that big. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was just so crazy, you know. So I get back the proof, and the, they had they put their little phone number in five point type on my design. So I'm like, I. I sell printing. I'm not interested in doing a mailing. It's going to cost me about $1,000 in postage to have my potential customers call them directly. So I called them up and asked them to please remove it. And they told me that that would be $50. And this was a, a postcard company that only sold to the trade. So I asked to speak to a supervisor. The supervisor comes on the phone, explains to me that I hadn't read the fine print. Obviously. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> You did read the one that was on the postcard, though, right? On your I sure postcard. Did. I sure did. But since I didn't read the fine print, he would uh, take that charge off this time. However, um, next time, now that I'm aware of it, I would have to pay it. Thank you very much. I literally walked out to my three staff and said, we're starting a postcard company and we're calling it Postcard Mania. And literally, that's how it started. Wow. And you just came up with the name just like it that? Just, it just came into my mind. Wow. I have no idea why. It just came into my mind. And um, so I went out and told them that and we decided to pilot doing just postcards. And I talked to the main printer that I did most of my printing with. And we talked about how you could gang the different cards up on one run. And he said, the sheets that we're using... You can put 16 orders up on one run if you do the four and a quarter by six postcards. I said, okay, I have to only sell 16 people. Let's let's pilot a price. 
and we piloted, I think, $399 for $5,000. And we put a little flyer into this local paper and that had like a $20,000 distribution, and the phones rang. Wow. And it was like, oh my God, the phones are ringing. And then we sold like three or four of them. And we're like, we can't even print them until we sell another 12. We're flipping out, <laughs> flipping out. You know, and what, and that constituted what's called a run. When you fill one sheet, we call it a run. Well, now Postcard Mania does about 50, 52 runs per week. Wow. And we fit 18 cards up on a run on the presses that we own. That That's we, incredible. Yeah, so fast forward, we wound up buying presses in... Um, 2005. Wow. Uh, we bought the building that you're sitting in, or the, or the, the property that we're on in 2004. The, um, the front building is the plant, and then this was a big backyard. And really? Yeah, this was just like a giant backyard, like a grassy knoll. It was like a big and grassy you, And you built back into it. We just built this building, yeah. Wow. So, um, tell, me, tell me a little bit about what things were like in those first couple of years, um, really, uh, actually, in those first couple of years as graphic design, or in the first couple of years of Postcard Mania, what were some of the biggest, uh, looking back, what, are you, what were your biggest challenges, like, or what were your biggest mistakes that you made? Oh, goodness gracious. In the beginning, one of the mistakes that comes to mind is, well, we were outsourcing our printing, because we were just, we were really just marketers, selling something and then designing it. We designed in-house, but... We just sold postcards. We didn't even sell the mailing services yet. Um, so we were convinced to switch from the printer we were using to another commercial printer. And he was he worked for the printer that we were using, but he was he got it together with some buddies and he was starting his own printing company. And he was like, I'm gonna take such good care of you, I am gonna give you better pricing, you're you know, you guys are growing and I want to make sure that like you're taken care of and da, da 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 da. I mean, he really sold himself quite well, and we really really liked the guy. You know, he was our sales rep, and we really dug him. Well, I don't remember all the details, but all I can tell you is those cards never actually got done. Oh wow! So we had a few runs. Now we're, you know, that are out at the printer, and they would promise us a, a delivery date. And then they would give us an excuse, no, it'll be tomorrow. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't have a relationship with another printer at this point. We had now burned that bridge because we went with their salesperson who, who started their own company. And all the art files were with them. Oh. And it went on for weeks, Katie. It went on for weeks. And it was just, we didn't know what to do. We kept, we just were honest with all the customers. <laughs> But it was like we really put all our eggs in one basket, and so you let you communicated with your customers like, "Hey, here's the hold on it, and here's why." Yeah, but it's like they needed their jobs. I mean, they had like sales and dates, and some of the things we had to reprint. It was just such a nightmare. It was so embarrassing. It was so horrible. And of course, we weren't even close to ever thinking of having our own presses at that point. But we did at that point um, diversify in terms of not being in bed with just one printer. Mm. And um, it was just a nightmare. I mean, he would so sincerely promise that, I swear it's just tomorrow. We're just gonna have it all tomorrow to you. I'm sorry what happened is the press broke down, this happened. No, no, tomorrow you will definitely, and then you're thinking, do I wanna start from scratch with another printer when he really is swearing to my face that I'm gonna have them tomorrow? And then the straw that broke the camel's back, aside from not getting it, like the fifth or sixth time he promised it, was um, somebody told us He's not even printing your job. He's fishing today. I don't know. Like, this is a very incestuous industry in this oh, wow. town. So, you know, we double verified that um, 
that uh, that was what he was doing. I think he was so stressed out that he just went fishing. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah, you couldn't have felt pretty confident after that, right? No. Okay, so one of the big I'm mistakes. I'm like sweating just from telling you that <laughs> story. That. She's very agitated, yeah. ladies. <laughs> it was horrible. Well, then let's actually move that into what did you do right? You know, um, I think our listeners really want to hear that not everything that they're doing is a mistake. So tell us about some of the things that you did in the beginning that were right, that you knew from the beginning, or you now have the, the knowledge to look back on and see, wow, I that was a right decision. That's exactly what we should have done. Um, the first thing I think of when you ask that is is my handling of staff and when I when I would hire people, and that's a question I get from people all the time um, that are growing a business is like, how do you know when to invest in that salary? Because that's that's a responsibility. That's not just a salary every week. It's like you don't want to pay someone and get them going and excited and trained on a job and then go, oh, I really can't afford to have you here. It's you know, and then let them go. So I would say that innately, I sort of knew when to do that. And I can explain how, and also who I hired. Being that the reason I started my own company was because I wanted a fun place to work and I didn't want office politics, from day one, I created an environment that just didn't exist with any office politics or backbiting. And it started out as a very we can do it attitude not like you work for me and and when I'm rich I'll see if I still like you (laughs) and Melissa Bradshaw who's the president of my company she's been with me for 15 years I mean she's we used to like high five each other like you know what we would do sometimes we would leave we would go I think it's a, I think it's a shopping day. We would get, <laughs> we'd have like a big win at work, and I'd say I think we need to play hooky. Let's go, and we would go shopping. That's great. Yeah, and and I would like buy her something and buy myself something. But I mean, back in the day, my staff were getting paid more than I was for the first three years. I would say. Wow. But. So that actually brings me to the point of, um, you know, you talked about that something you did right was really bringing on the right people. Can you get a little bit more in depth of what you look for, what, what really clicks with you, how you know, how you train people like different, um, different foundational ways of being able to interact with people, raise leaders within your company that really make a difference? Probably too much information for this interview. Like my mind's going like, I can't (laughs) tell her all these things, but what I can tell you is that, um, you know how when you when you meet somebody for the first time, there's definitely like a social veneer or a PR personality where they're being their very best they can be. And then when you get to know them, they're still great. A lot of times they're still great. Or sometimes you find out that they're really an A, uh-huh. H, you know? <laughs> bleep. <laughs> bleep. They find out they're a bleep. And you, you know, and you're like, wow, they were amazing when I first met them. But look at, look at how, what they do. They talk behind people's backs or they don't say, they don't do what they say they're going to do, right? So... When, when I'm interviewing someone, they always bring their A-game to the interview. Right. Like, who am I really interviewing here? Right. So I would do this thing where I, when they would come in to get interviewed, I would continue doing whatever I was doing. Like, like when you walked in today, I was, on the, I was finishing an email. So yeah. if they came in, I would do what I was doing, finish my email, and just 100% like be myself. Like, I wouldn't try to make them feel uncomfortable. So I would get to a point, I would chat with them. I would chat with them about what I was just doing. Oh, sorry, I was just emailing this person. And if I don't get back to them right away, they get really aggravated. Sorry. And then I would, you know, if my phone rang, I was like, oh, it's my son. Hang on, you know. (laughs) And I would just be really real with them. And I would sort of not put on this kind of weird professionalism that Mm. that is not really my real personality. So once they were, like, kind of more comfortable, I'd start asking questions 
that they would feel comfortable answering honestly. Hmm. And, um, and I would get talking to them. And you can sort of tell, you know, if the person started complaining about their last job, talking badly about their last boss, if everything, that the, every answer to their question sort of leaned toward a negative, even if it was with a giggle and a, and a smile, I would take note of that, hmm. you know. And I would really make sure that they were comfortable with me. And then I would ask them questions like, um, what have you done in your life that you are most proud of? Like, a, like, what have you done that really instantly makes you feel... And I don't even care if it's their kids, you know, that makes them most, the most proud. But they have to have something. And if they go, uh, oh, God, I don't know. Um, well, I was, like, in a sorority, and I was really popular. Not a good answer. Gotcha. <laughs> but I would be totally friendly with them. Like, it would never indicate that that wasn't a good answer. But I was really looking for people who accomplished things. Right. Right. That they were proud of. And okay. when somebody had an answer right on the tip of their tongue, that really communicated to me. That's great. So coupled with all of this great kind of um, intuitive and practice of getting the right people on, talk about some of the other things that you've implemented in Postcard Mania's culture. Um, uh, ways that you've, uh, you know, different... Um, different things that you've established, norms that you've established, things like that, that have created the culture that you have now? Well, you know, as you grow, um, it's harder and harder to keep it familial. And it's really important to us that we keep it that way. So probably after the first few years, we actually put in writing that there's no office politics allowed. There's no ne negative chatter allowed. You're not allowed to talk smack about the customers or your fellow staff members. So now, for some of our listeners, just to interrupt, <laughs> they're mind blown. Like, there's no way that that can happen. Maybe many of you have worked in jobs where that's been run rampant, or you know, even in your own companies, you've just seen that kind of naturally take place. So, what are the realities of that? Because how it really doesn't happen here. No, it really doesn't. I mean, it has a couple of times, and I can tell you a story about that. But we make them sign something that they agree to it, and in that in that document that they sign, it says that they can be fired on point, no warnings. If it's if they if they do that here or or if they know about it and don't report it, so and this is a really fun place to work. People want their jobs here. Yeah. And then now when when people come um, and meet me, everybody meets me when they get hired. I'm we have like a you know we call it a routing form because they're routing through the organization and they're going to meet everybody, all the the senior executives and the VPs and different managers. They'll meet so that they kind of get to know the organization. It takes a couple of days to get through it. And when they come meet me, I deputize them. I remind them about the document. I go, you're my deputy. So if you hear anybody violating that policy, all you need to do is go, hey, we don't do that at Postcard Mania. And you know what? They will appreciate it. And not only will they appreciate it, because they don't really want to do it. They know they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. They'll respect you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't say anything, they won't. Because you know what? They were deputized too. So they know right. you're my deputy. Right. So you sort of put that there, and it, it does have, make the staff police each other. Now, story. I had um, a couple of staff members here, one six years, one four years. And I got a report from somebody sitting in the same area as them of 12 instances of talking smack about another staff member. And not just one staff member, but, like, different ones. Just as sort of... In a nothing, nothing like that person did this and it really pissed me off, like a work-related thing. Just kind of, just plain nastiness. Mm. You know, like, why does she always look in here? Why is she always coming in here and looking in here? And of course, I know the answer to that. She, I know exactly who she was looking for when she would look in that room. 
um, random things. And then we pulled their, we have our internal um, message system is called Spark. So we pulled their Spark, these two individuals. And I don't know what they did all day. I don't know what work they got done. Lots of conversation. Lots about. of conversation wow. about talking smack about other people and negative chatter. So that one was for me. I asked them to. Pl- I mean, I was personally betrayed by that because they've been here such a long time and they right. know what the culture is of this company. Right. And I pulled them in, and I and the girl just started. She was getting nervous and she was going to deny it. And I go, you know, you're just making yourself look bad. Like I have the proof right here. It's not just the report. Wow. And I just basically told them to get their things and leave. Wow. So it's. And that's a head on a pike. You know, when, when other staff see that, they know. She means business. And, it, and it, it stays pretty jovial. Yeah. So obviously no office politics. You've mentioned to me a couple of things in the past as far as, you know, this is a fun place to work. And it is because you do things very uniquely in the sense you you have a, like a mommy's program for new, for new mommies, right? Talk about that. Oh, goodness. Well, the mommy, it's not really a program. It's kind of based on the job that the person has. If they're in an area in the organization that isn't a lot of phone work, I have no problem with them bringing their baby to work. No problem at all. The ones that are like staff members or people that are on customer calls all day, they know that they know that it's just not gonna work. But if somebody's on an administrative post and they're not on, on the phone, I have no problem with them bringing their baby. We've had so many babies here, I love it. They just have to <laughs> promise to bring the babies into my office. <laughs> you get to play babysitter for a few I, minutes, oh right? Oh my God, I, and I'm grandma to so many babies because they were here the first parts of their life, so it's quite lovely. So all these things really just have, have been a part of making this so special. Yeah, you, don't even, you probably don't even know about the cafe. Oh, I do know about the cafe. Oh, that know? is a very special thing. Well, That's one of my favorite things here. Did you know that we're now serving Buddy Brew? <gasps> I love it. Everybody. We're going to be interviewing Susan, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Great, great, great coffee company that's oh, here local in Tampa Bay. They're so awesome. So we switched to Buddy Brew. And um, not only that, we just got a Froyo machine. Oh, my goodness. And we're doing... We're doing <laughs> this is a fun place to work. And it's organic. Only organic frozen yogurt. Wow. Not only that, I planted... I, I'm on this kick like you're vegan now, right? Well, I'm on this organic kick. <laughs> so I planted this ginormous organic garden at my house so that the cafe could have all organic greens. Because if you buy them, then it, it's so expensive that the staff don't yeah. want to even pay cost. Right. They'd rather eat garbage with GMOs. And I can't make them be healthy. I can't force them to be healthy. But I can serve only organic mm-hmm. foods with no GMOs in my cafe. So um, that's really exciting for me. I don't know how much they care about it. <laughs> but it makes a difference to you. It does. It does. And now we're planting on the side of this building. We're putting in 10 um, raised beds. And we'll have a committee of staff that like to garden. And it'll be like a little co-op. So we'll have, you know, these temporary greenhouses. We can have lettuce and tomato all year. And those that tend the garden will actually share the leftover crops. So there so you go. So all of these elements that seemingly have nothing to do with day-to-day business, but really add to your company's culture. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your company's culture, um, you know, as you've grown that, why it's so important, and how you've seen that really make a difference in your company, in the lives of your employees, et cetera. You know, I can't speak for the lives of my employees, except except for a few that I notice specifically. Like, we, you know, we have workout classes here, and we have a bunch of staff that go down to the CrossFit gym, and one of the girls, she's just amazing. She really went from being 
definitely obese. And if she listens to this, no, she would not even care because she's an amazing product. And she's a trim little gorgeous thing that, that goes to CrossFit every single solitary day. And you can definitely see in certain staff how it's affected their lives. Um, in terms of keeping the culture the way it is or, or adding things that make the staff happy to be here you know it's not easy to find good staff it really isn't and um even though it's like unemployment is really high and it's you know and it seems like you'd be it'd be really easy if you're looking for like it people or programmers and these are very highly coveted um people you know it's the the positions are abound it's finding the people and we have to we have to make it so they want to work here and not somewhere else so we realize that, and we have somebody on staff now. She's our external and our internal PR. And we just had a meeting right before you arrived talking about what we were going to do to get all the staff wanting to come to our company Christmas party. We always get about 75% attendance, which is not which bad. Which is great, yeah. But we want everybody to come to the party because it's totally awesome, and we break it down, and it's just so fun. So what we're going to do this year is we're going to give away. Um, we're going to everybody who arrives gets a raffle ticket, and we're going to give away five hundred dollars Christmas spending money so they can buy presents without it affecting their. Wow! Event. And that hopefully that'll get the rest of the staff to come. So we were just having a meeting about that, like yeah. coming up with all these different ideas of how to get more participation. So we do put an effort there. It's not we don't last minute go. Oh, oh crap! We have to have a Christmas party. What should we do? Mm-hmm. We're planning it the entire year. We know this year we know in 2015 the date you know what I mean we're into it talk to me about some of the um some of the challenging times that postcard mania has had um this is going to be a, a double question so tell me about some of those challenging moments how you've surpassed them and how you've led your team through those I I, I know that could be an hour-long conversation um okay so I'm sure everybody listening to this remembers uh, 2009, <laughs> 2008. So 2007, we had our highest every year. Well, we've surpassed that since then, but up until that point, that was our highest every year. I think we did like 17 million in revenue or 18 million in revenue. And in 2008, we were down by like $150,000. So when you're talking about those kinds of millions, it's really not... I, I, you know, I was like, I should have just thrown 200,000 into it and then it would have been up, you know, that kind of a thing. Um... And profits, I didn't even really calculate. I didn't even like, you know how I keep stats on everything? I measure all the production and all the numbers and we're like anal about metrics. I didn't even really look at the profit because we were so profitable that it was kind of like, let's take all the stuff to Las Vegas. You know, it was kind of like that. Then 2009 came. That's when this building was finished being constructed. It was probably the last, it was probably the last financed construction project in all of Pinellas County. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was like, and all the contractors were kind of like running for the hills. I mean, they were like putting the building together with like a lick and a prayer and then they're gone. We don't, you know, and I mean, we, we probably just recently patched our last roof leak that the building had so many roof leaks when we moved in. Wow. And yeah, and the contractor knows it. We, we, my, my assistant Teresa, she emails every single week, every single solitary week the architects, the builders, the consultants, they all have to get an email from her every week with updates on our building leaks. And finally, one of the partners of the architects came and, and decided to help help us get it handled terminatedly. But nobody, I mean, for years, that was like recently. Wow. And we're talking 2009, now it's end of 2013. So aside from that, 
the way I financed this building was with what is called a um, industrial revenue bond. And the, the closing documents are in a, a bound hardcover book that is probably 10, 8 to 10 inches thick. There were 30 lawyers at the closing table. I didn't even understand what was going on. But it's really cheap money. It's like very low interest rate. You, don't, you can pay um, interest only for many, many years. And, but the covenant, the, the agreements in this document, I mean, I didn't even know what they were. Well, part of the agreements was you have to grow a certain amount, you have to hire more people every year, you have to do all these different things. So I was like this golden child, like the bank was like throwing money at me. And then when the banks were all freaking, and we, by the way, even though we, we, we were down $2 million in 2009, we never ever missed a mortgage payment because I'm like a total stickler. I didn't pay myself that year. I didn't pay myself one red cent that year because I didn't want to lay anybody off. So fortunately my husband's business did well in that period not well enough to support the lifestyle we'd grown accustomed to, but well enough that we didn't lose any of our real estate. We didn't have to short sell anything. We didn't have to do anything crazy to wreck our credit, which we really couldn't do because we have all these, these businesses we have to run. So, um, but I didn't take any pay. I didn't really put it on my staff's plate at all. Um, we just kept working on growth, 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 growth. But what happened was in September of 2009, the bank came to me, basically called on the phone and said, I'm coming for a visit. I mean, I was, I was blindsided. I didn't really understand what was going on, but they were like, you've broken your covenant agreements and we're, 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 we're calling the loan. And I'm like, what? what do you Even mean? though you had never missed a mortgage. Yeah, that, that had nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with the price of rice in China, honey. It's like, <laughs> uh, they, the banks were looking for ways that they could collect because so many people were for, getting foreclosed on or short selling. They were losing money hand over fist and they went, she can pay the loan. She can pay it. So we we're going to find a covenant agreement that she broke. And I wasn't growing. I shrunk. So that was, and they go, we're calling the loan. Mm. It was basically a nightmare. I didn't close with another bank until October, 2011. Wow. So from September for two years, then they, the, it was, it was, it was crazy, Katie. It was insane. It was pure and utter insanity. I wound up hiring really good people to help me with the situation. First attorney we went to, me and my husband left and we looked at each other and I go, I feel like he's, I feel like a bull with, with a nose ring being led to the slaughter. Mm. Like, like, how can I make this as, like, basically the, you could tell that attorney just felt like we had, we had, we're not going to be able to pay off. We don't, I didn't, the loans this bank held all the mortgages for several properties and that we've never missed a payment on any of them. They lumped them all together and said, you owe us $6.8 million pay. Oh my goodness. I know. And then they were like threatening me and all this. It was crazy. One time, one time they just, and we were banking with them. They, the merchant services, not the, not the regular banking. They yanked all the merchant services money out of the account, like without telling me no warning. They, we wound up, you know, we got an attorney, we wound up making agreements, we had to pay him like $15,000 a week. Never did I ever see where one penny was, was, went to. Did it go to the mortgage? Did it go to the principal? Did it go to their lawyer fees? Did it go, never. We finally wound up negotiating another, we, we just, what we did, Katie, is we said, F this, we're growing, we're gonna be profitable, and they can kiss my A. So basically, by the time we were able to find a bank. Oh, and banks don't like to buy other banks' bad debt. So, and they don't look at like that I'm not really bad debt. They just see that they don't, that there's this whole Michigas going on. And yeah, 
So we finally find um, a bank to buy the loan at a discount, but it really wasn't a discount to me because I had paid them about, I paid them the, the amount that it was discounted already in fees over the two years, in whatever, I don't know if it was mortgage payments, who knows? Well, was, yeah, you don't know where that was, was going. It, it was the most insane thing I've ever been through. And um, this new bank bought the loan, and by the time that happened, the original bank was like, well, maybe we could work something out now. <laughs> I was like, are you freaking kidding me? After all this torture. Are you kidding me? Even the girl who was the debt negotiator that we hired from this third-party company who worked at that bank and knew everybody in that department previously, she said she had never seen anyone be so evil and so gung-ho to shut us down. Wow. It was crazy. It was like she did not like me, the lady we were dealing with. I don't know. It was really crazy. So in all of that chaos, how – you mentioned this before, but, like, how did you have to show up every day? How did you have to lead your team? How did you get everyone on board to just continue to grow? They didn't know about it. Even mm-hmm. my senior management didn't know about it. They didn't wow. tell anybody about it. And they um, – the bank at that point, they wouldn't... Now we could afford for me to... I, I was growing. Okay, so 2009, we were down $2 million. 2010, we beat 2007. 2011, we were beating 2010. You could look... Back, I know you can't show it on... But that's the graph right up there. Yeah. So you can see the dip. There's so, a whole billboard just of graph after graph after graph <laughs> of numbers. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little anal on that stuff. But anyway, so um, I could afford to pay myself now. And I could afford to you know, pay my staff better and do all these things. But the bank said, oh, no, you've made enough money. No, literally, they they, they demanded this 30-page affidavit. They wanted to know every penny my husband and I had, where it was, what accounts. And then and I was saying to the lawyers, how is this? It's in, it's in the covenant agreement in that 10-inch thick hardbound yeah. book that um, in order for you to get these loans. So um, now I just have a regular... A regular mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> After all that, that seems so easy now. So simple. Like, well, yeah, but the thing was at the time, it was like I didn't have to bring a lot of money to closing. Like the first time I got an IRB, uh, an industrial revenue bond, it helped me put the, the, the presses in. I mean, I didn't have that kind of money, millions of dollars, or even right. that kind of credit at that point to grow exponentially like that. So they do make all these crazy rules. Never Again, will I big lesson learned? Big, right? big lesson learned. When my we were at we were at senior exec planning for twenty, for t- I think for twenty eleven when my staff learned about it. Wow! So we were in January twenty eleven. So it had been going on since September two thousand nine, oh, yeah. and uh, and I got a phone call and I had to go talk. And we were we were at the Sand Pearl, and we were doing our planning at the Sand Pearl. It was a, a one bedroom. A you know, it's like a whole apartment, so they have, like, kitchens there, and we can spend, like, two days there, hold up, and just do all our planning. So I needed to take this call from the attorney, so I went into the other room, and it got a little loud. It got a little loud. And I came out, and I said, okay, I might as well just tell you guys what's going on. And they couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. They were dumbfounded. They had no idea. So it actually grew. It made us a tighter-knit family. They appreciated me more, you know, feel like that I wouldn't. Because if they if I if they knew about it, how do you create on top of that? It's so difficult. So, but it sounds like you they were you know everyone knew about it at sort of a an ending point to where you could all sort of come together and really rally, really push through, really grow, sort of. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, it was still. I mean, that was the beginning of 2011. We didn't find a loan to close on until October 2011. So mm. it was still like almost another whole year of like back and forth with the bank, back and forth with the attorneys. Because until we had that. 
um, letter that you know that term sheet from a new bank. It, they it, to them, I, it was just. You know, they they hadn't gotten that. They hadn't closed me down yet. They hadn't yeah. taken. They were gonna. They were threatening to put a CEO in here. Wow. And I had no idea that I had signed anything like that, Katie. Just Lesson learned. All, read all of the details. Right. About, there's no way I could have ever read that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to read that. It was I trusted my attorneys, and it, we had the we were like had the Midas touch. You know, mm. we were just growing year after year. We were like. It didn't seem, I don't blame anyone. I don't blame myself or the people who sold me that loan. It's just the way it kind of went, you know? So through all of these ups and some major, major downs, and then some major ups all again, who, uh, what have you, what have you done throughout all these years to stay on top of your game, to stay on top as the leader of your company, as an innovator in the industry, um, you know, as somebody who's constantly strategizing about where the company's going? I can't explain it. I can't explain why I'm able to stay upbeat. There is one thing I can show you, and if you want, um, I'll just read it to you here. It's called The Joy of Creating, and it's written by L. Ron Hubbard, and you see I have it in my office. I just, those of you listening, I just pulled it off my wall. It says, The Joy of Creating, force yourself to smile, and you'll soon stop frowning. Force yourself to laugh, and you'll soon find something to laugh about. Wax enthusiastic, and you'll very soon feel so. A being causes his own feelings. The greatest joy there is in life is creating. Splurge on it. Mm. And this this reference has gotten me through a lot because when I when I you know everybody goes into a funk where they're just like God I'm just in a bad mood. You know? <laughs> but I could force myself to laugh. I could find something to laugh about. And truth be told, suddenly you're like in a good mood. You know, right. and you've you've out created that thing, whatever that funk was. Joy, uh, you know, you mentioned a couple times before about what a stickler you are for metrics, for numbers. Um, there are, there's, you know, beautiful numbers and graphs up everywhere. Uh, you know, you have a very well organized operation here. You're a $22 million company. That is a, you are a sitting duck for companies who want to come and buy you out. We get, we get approached all the time. It's ridiculous. Talk to me about that. What are your thoughts on that? I think to myself, I'm not ready. And I'm having too much fun. You know, the, when, the first three years I was working, all my staff made more money than I did. Then I finally started to be able to pay myself. Then we went through this whole bank debacle. And now we're on the other side of that. We have so many exciting things going on organizationally and just out in the field. I mean, in terms of, of the products that we're bringing to market, we have exciting, exciting things going on. We're almost more of an IT company now, a technology company, than we ever were before. And um, it's just exciting, so why would I want to sell it? Yeah. I'm only 49. <laughs> <laughs> and a CrossFit boxer on top of there that. There you go, there you go. <laughs> So that leads me to exactly the next question, which is, what is your vision for Postcard Mania? Oh, goodness gracious me. You know, people would always say to me, like, did you have a business plan? Like, did you know it was going to get this big? Oh, gosh, no. I, I You know, I, I'm just call me wingy, Wing It Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, have, I do have somewhat of an exit strategy. I don't know when that's going to be, but I know that eventually I'll be able to sell this thing for whatever I want to get for it. And there, and knowing that has helped me put in place and learn what companies and um, want and what they look for in, in terms of, of what they want to buy to give value to their own company. So, you know, knowing I've, I've educated myself on that so that I know what to do. And what we're doing is we're building our subscription revenue 
Um, if you look at that graph, the one on the very right, um, that's our monthly subscription revenue, which is going straight up, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the you don't you're not you can't see the numbers. It's not very high. It's probably about twenty five thousand dollars a month um, that comes in automatically. But we up until like a year and a half ago, we've really just had to recreate the nut every single week. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing twenty million around twenty million a year, um, that's a big nut that you have to create every single week newly. So I know that when that um, graph is in the hundred thousand, two hundred thousand a month range, that's very you know tantalizing to these merger and acquisition companies. And you know we've grown our database; we have uh, over sixty thousand customers now. Having a, a list of companies like that that do market is adds value to the company. So I'm always looking at how do I make postcard media more valuable, and that's really what I see in the future: just growing it and making it super valuable. So when I am a rickety old lady, which I am when I go to CrossFit, but when, when I'm an actual rickety old lady and somebody, and I'm ready, then I know that I have something super, super valuable to sell. So you have spent all these years building up this company, being able to give back to the community, being able to employ people, being able to, to fulfill an incredible lifestyle and, and really shift an entire industry in a lot of ways. Um, and it's been a wild ride for you. Um, what what impact do you want to have on this world? I want to set a good example. You know, I want. I definitely just feel like I want to set a good example. I want people to realize they can do it. I'm no rocket scientist. I'm I'm smart. I'm definitely smart, but I'm a high school dropout. I mean, basically, I'm self educated. So I just want I just want to set a good example and and live a good life and inspire people. Joy, thank you so much for taking out your time. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm, I always have fun with you, Katie. <laughs> we have a blast. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Words of wisdom and a life story from Joy Jendusa. If you loved what you heard, go on to iTunes, rate the show, let me know what you think, and go check out our website at bizwomenrock.com. Put in your name and email address and I'll give you a free book with tons of tools that you can use for your business today. And welcome to the Rockin' Community.